I'm questioning a lot of things lately, to be honest. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> right. I think it's good. I think it's good. I think it's good to understand, like, I'm living under by this principle. Why am I living by this principle? And what could be evidence against it? Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. If you think about it, we use milk or milk substitutes all the time. They're the basis for our smoothies. We put them in our coffee in the morning. We use them in our breakfast and in tons of other recipes. If we're going to use something that often, I think it is so important that we have the right product. Oat Canada is my go-to option for a dairy-free beverage. It tastes great, it's unbelievably creamy, and it boasts zero grams of sugar. It's non-GMO, vegan, glyphosate-free, and keto-friendly. I am a huge supporter of this company, of the people behind the company, and of their mission. So if you are looking for a dairy-free beverage to be your new go-to, I highly recommend you look for Oak Canada. Oat Canada is available at Costco, and you can check oatcanada.com for the latest updates on availability. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? Thanks so much for joining me this week. I have some things that are starting to weigh on me a little bit, and I just wanted to share them with you guys. I feel like I haven't done a life update in a little bit. At the end of the year, in December... Eric will be a free agent, which means that technically our time in Toronto will be coming to a close. Now, I am fully in denial about this because we've been here since 2015. I feel like my entire life is here. And if there is a little bit of a chance that we'll get to stay in Toronto, which to be fair, there is. I am finding myself holding on really, really tightly to that chance. Now, of course, so I'm not completely taken by surprise at the end of the year, he's been telling me Eric's the realist in our relationship, and he's been telling me that I really need to get ready to probably be moving at the end of the year, which is a lot to process. Like I said, I feel like our whole lives are here. I moved here right out of school. So my entire adult life has been living in Toronto. I feel like I have so many amazing relationships here. I love the work I'm doing here right now. So I love where we live. I love our place. It's just really, really hard. And I'm really resistant to the idea of thinking about potentially having to leave. It's funny though. That's kind of how our brains work. We're so resistant to change. Yes, this is an awesome scenario for us here, and there's so many wonderful people here. But that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be another amazing scenario somewhere else out there for us, and there aren't other people that we haven't met yet but have the chance to forge some really strong relationships with. But it's really hard to imagine those things, and I think the unknown is... Obviously, just a little bit scary. So the weight of that, of that sort of impending, potentially massive change in our lives is starting to weigh on me, I think, especially because the weather has absolutely flipped here in Toronto. Like the temperature has let us know that summer is over and that means that the end of the year is coming. It's also a bit of a weird time because... Eric is going to be in a bubble again, so in order to play U.S. teams, he's going to have to spend most of his time down in Connecticut, and he left last Friday for that, but spend most of his time in Connecticut, and then he'll have a couple of really short stints where he comes back to Toronto for about two days, but obviously within that time, he'll be in quarantine, so we won't be able to go anywhere, so... 
I think this week was a little bit of a week of mourning, potentially, of our last time together experiencing the city, you know? And that's really hard, and that's really weird. The thing that I am reminding myself over and over and over, because I know this is true, it's just hard to feel it right now, is this. When massive changes are gifted to us in our lives, it is giving us the opportunity to restructure the exact life we want. I am so confident in both me and Eric and our relationship and our ability to enter a new city or a new community or for him a new team and surround ourselves by the right people who are going to help carry us into this next phase of our lives. So obviously it's a massive opportunity for growth, but I'm still super resistant to it and the less mature part of me is really sort of dreading potentially having to move. So anyways, that's where my head is at this week. But enough about that. I'm really excited to share this podcast episode with you guys because I got to speak to Corinne Chen and we did a little kind of home and away podcast episode because she has her own podcast as well called Booch Please. Corinne is a holistic nutritionist here in Toronto. She kind of prides herself on the fact that she's built her own authentic practice that incorporates holistic nutrition and functional medicine with her science and research background. She competed in CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting in the past, and she loves to work with mindful athletes. She feels this is really her niche because they're really resilient humans who value nutrition and fitness as a way of pursuing personal excellence. In speaking with Corinne, she is an avid traveler, someone with such an open mind, someone whose viewpoints I really respect, and I really loved this conversation. It wasn't really one of us interviewing the other, it just was that. It was kind of just a back and forth conversation, and I loved the insights and the thoughts that she brought to it. So, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Corinne Chen. I was a dancer, so that's kind of my movement background. Yeah. And now Posture I'm also says it right, all. Right. Here you guys we are, are watching the top. video. She's like perfect and pristine, and I'm like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was your that was your start in yeah. fitness. Yeah, it was so that was my start in movement. And and I think that it gave me a really interesting base for understanding movement quality. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't speak the language of strength and conditioning, it still gave me the eye, I think, for movement and alignment mm-hmm. and just an interesting perspective, I think, when I when I brought strength and conditioning sides to to that background. Um, yeah, and I'm also a nutritional therapy practitioner. That's right. Yeah. Congratulations Thanks. on that. Thanks. It's a great program. Yeah, yeah. I loved that program. Learned so much. I love the holistic approach to it. Yeah. So so it's cool to get some formal education in nutrition as well because mm-hmm. I think that probably as we're going to talk about when it comes to wellness fitness, nutrition, there's so many sides to this whole picture and it's really hard Mm -hmm. to just say like, I am a trainer because inevitably the nutrition questions come also, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, people have struggles with fitness and then the struggles with nutrition come right with it. So I think to now have the education in both sides has been really good and served me quite well. I feel like um, going back to what you said about being a dancer, um, I, th- I feel like there's this understanding of tension or like bracing or engaging muscles that's so important mm-hmm. that's hard to teach actually so it's so cool that you come from a background that already drilled that into your understanding of movement mm-hmm. um, like when I was teaching CrossFit teaching like a deadlift people can try to mimic that movement but they don't understand how to brace their core or how to engage their abs um, a- until like you have to like almost like manually adjust them sometimes for them to understand what it means and they're and then they're like oh my god like I didn't realize that my back didn't have to hurt or or you know my body didn't have to move that way mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah I definitely agree with you it's funny that you bring up bracing because I think teaching bracing is one of the hardest things actually for people to understand mm-hmm. and early on when I was a trainer I didn't know how to teach people to brace and I didn't realize, but most people, when you say brace your core, they just suck their belly in. Mm. They're not actually creating tension 
in all directions in their core, right? Because our core is like a ring around mm-hmm. and it, we should be expanding, embracing in all four directions. So it's really interesting that you say that because that's a very challenging thing to teach. I think dance gave me a level of awareness of my body. And so mm-hmm. I'm able to pick up like nuances and movement pretty pretty quickly because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think it also makes me a good good teacher of movement. Absolutely, and there's such an appreciation for warming up and cooling down in dance too. And yeah. I feel like dancers, as far as I know, are people that really appreciate longevity. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them understand that I need to be doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. and so I need to warm up, I need to take care of injuries. Of course there's like, you hear stories of people pushing through pain, or like yeah. their toes are bleeding, and <laughs> they're still doing ballet. There's that resilience to it, but um, there's also, I just respect the, I guess, the discipline so mm-hmm. much. I like that word. I I think there's a reverence for your body and what you can do. But also, you know, you reference feet bleeding. Like, there's also an element of just get your body into the position. And if Mm. it hurts, just do it. You know, you just kind of are, like, manipulating your body, whether it feels good or not. And, like, so, for example, like, some people's anatomy isn't set up where they're just going to easily be able to get their leg, like, right up by their ear, right? But... You gotta just do whatever it takes, even that's something that's not great for your low back or whatever, just to get your leg there because it's so much about aesthetics, Okay. if that makes sense. And interestingly, that focus on aesthetics, I think is part of the reason why I ended up experiencing disordered eating and eventually full-blown eating disorder. I mm-hmm. think I think that that was definitely an underlying factor, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Casey has her own brilliant podcast. It's called... It's how called, do you feel? How do you feel? I was going to say, how are you feeling? <laughs> Close, That's I like the that. colloquial version <laughs> yeah. of the name. It's how do you feel? Like that. <laughs> You're grammatically correct. Um, and in there, one of my favorite episodes, I, or one that really struck me, was when you talked about your experience with disordered eating. There, Even though I've never been a dancer, I feel like there are so many similarities. And I'm sure you've heard that from other women who have not been dancers or who have had different journeys with eating disorders. Why don't you tell us a, a little bit more about, I guess... Um, how that experience started and then where it went from there and how Mm -hmm. you got to the place that you're at now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, I think that disordered eating in general and honestly full-blown eating disorders are something, like, it is so common. Since I've opened up about my eating disorder, almost every single person I talk to that's in fitness or nutrition in some way, they say, yes, I've experienced something similar. Mm -hmm. So it's just crazy how there's something about the way that our world approaches fitness and nutrition that really does lead people down this path. And then, you know, we're kind of left to navigate our way out of it. So I think it's really interesting and something that I think is important to talk about because of that. But for me, like I said, I think being in an aesthetic-based art form definitely contributed because you're staring at yourself in the mirror all, all the time, right? You're trying to make your body look a certain way. So I think that was part of it, but that wasn't the whole the whole story. Um, I think, like, deep down, I didn't have confidence in myself as a human. Like, I didn't have that deep-down understanding that I'm worthy, I'm valuable. And so I think what happened was... As my body started to change, like I I found fitness, I found like how I could manipulate my nutrition. As my body started to change, I got a lot of praise and attention. Mm. And that made me feel better about myself. Because those compliments, I almost needed them. I needed the reassurance because I didn't have the reassurance within me. Mm -hmm. So I think that was like underlying what led me down that path. Yeah, and just, just not realizing that I'm valuable as a human no matter what the size of my body is. And I just learned to value value that instead. Yeah, absolutely. So there were underlying beliefs and the circumstance, the fact that you were a dancer or this mm-hmm. was the avenue you chose to pursue, it just brought it out or mm-hmm. made it surface more, yeah, more yeah, visible. I think that, I think there were both contributing factors. Yeah, sure. exactly. And yeah, definitely and beliefs it, were, yeah, a huge part of it too. Yeah, and I wouldn't say... In, in this case, like dance isn't necessarily the problem, right? Or the dance right. industry, although there are very problematic elements to that industry, but it's the fact that there was a lack of confidence to start with. And mm-hmm. that's incredibly mm-hmm. relatable. Going back to what you said about like every single person in the fitness and wellness industry having some experience with disordered eating. 
I think people see disordered eating as something so sensationalized, mm-hmm. especially with documentaries and exposés or videos on like the fashion industry. People think like she must be a twig in order for her to have anorexia or bulimia or some sort of disordered eating where in reality it's such a spectrum like people can have really mild symptoms or beliefs and then people can be really severe but they also can look any sort of way and still have disordered eating Um, so I think that's why it's harder to catch when people look quote-unquote healthy um, but then they're exhibiting really really unhealthy behavior yeah it's so true it's something that can affect everyone and it's something that where the behaviors that are disordered and the language around it is so normalized. So we don't even know how to identify it yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually just watched a video from this lovely lady named Shelby Lawson, and she broke down the, the almost like the entire concept of body inclusivity or body positivity, and she broke it down to four levels. It starts with... Uh, the collective idea so you know there's this like universal uh, like unspoken standard of beauty that everyone subscribes to and then from there it trickles down into institutional discrimination so when you go to a store like Nike or Aritzia and they don't carry larger sizes or their mannequins and the people in their advertisements are only shaped in a certain way, that's sending us a very covert message that only people that look like this can shop here or are welcome or are considered beautiful and worthy by us. Yeah. And then from there it trickles down to interpersonal. So you know what you were saying about people complimenting you about your weight loss or your body changing that to us like we perceive that as a compliment like oh like good job you look great but what that's actually saying is wow you are worthy now of my praise but before you weren't um which is so toxic because we don't (laughs) catch it we just focus on the in the moment feel goodness and then lastly from interpersonal relationships it trickles down to personal or individuals um and so we navigate the world believing that beauty is the standard it's not me it's someone else i have to do these things in order to be beautiful it's so intensely built into our society in so many industries and you're right it's not inclusive it's not inclusive Mm -hmm. of all bodies and all bodies are not meant to look the same Mm -hmm. we're not meant to all be twigs and that's okay and that's beautiful in its own right i was reflecting on something i don't know if you've experienced this or you experienced this as well But when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I was taught so much. The world sort of taught me, I was teaching myself, that the size of your body dictated like how worthy you were as a person. So the level of comparison, every person that I looked at, I was so deep in this comparison game. Every person I looked at, I would analyze how's my body how's their body are we different are are they the same like it was crazy i saw people as bodies wow crazy like because i taught myself to do that and that's what i was valuing immediately in Mm -hmm. someone now i don't even think about that right like i see people as humans and i don't see people as their body but i just thought that was so crazy and i think we get into this comparison game like when that's what we're valuing absolutely I remember going to university or hopping on a TTC train and I would notice if I was the thinnest person in the Mm -hmm. room. And if I wasn't, then I would tell myself like, you need to be thinner than Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. someone out there that's thinner than you. And that's so fucked up. But at the time, that was completely rational to me. It was like very justified and it was almost a noble cause. Like, wow, you're so hardworking. You constantly want to be the best. Good work. Um, And and now looking (laughs) back, like that is incredibly awful for me to reduce myself to just a body and then reducing other people to just a body. It does such an injustice. Mm -hmm. One thing that I always like to say is that the least interesting thing about us are our physical appearances or our bodies. (laughs) And that was something that I completely didn't believe in back then. Yeah, Yeah. I'm with you. What was it that made you want to change? Like, Mm. what made you want to evolve away from your disordered eating behaviors? Um, that's a great question. I think at the time I didn't realize this, but in hindsight, I can see that it was because my friend circle changed. Mm. I was surrounded by people that just didn't entertain this need to be 
like conventionally beautiful in any way and also they were very good at praising me for my like character or the person that I was rather than what I look like so I really appreciated that I think they cool. showed me that I can be someone different there's another way or there's another version of me out there that I can be and still be appreciated um, so it was super helpful it's incredible. It's incredible how influential people are yeah. in the circle that you surround yourself with. Is is that when you is that when you found CrossFit? Like that that was the group of people, or was that kind of after? I think that was a start. Mm-hmm. I think CrossFit was a start um, because for those of you who have never done CrossFit, it's very much focused on performance. So what the body can do. If you watch the CrossFit Games documentary on Netflix, you'll notice that the women they have thick cores. They're not like the hourglass shape that you'll see in most fitness magazines or bodybuilding magazines. So that to me was very interesting. They were they were focused on, I wanna do a muscle up or I wanna snatch my body weight. So that was a start. And then I would say after I started working for Lululemon, mm-hmm. that was a huge turning point was um, there was this focus on mindfulness and integrity versus being mm-hmm. pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those really strong values, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think for me it was a couple of things. First of all, I felt like crap. Like, oh yeah, there was that. I felt like shit. <laughs> my hair I was no falling energy. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my hair got so thin. My hair got so thin that I actually got extensions because it, it was like chopping off so much yeah. that my nails weren't growing. You know, I was sick. Like, I felt crappy. So that was part of it for sure. I think another part of it was feeling a bit like an imposter. So when this was happening... I was starting to become a personal trainer and I had clients that I was talking about healthy fitness and nutrition to. Mm -hmm. And I think after a while, like that just doesn't align, right? You're Mm -hmm. like, I'm sitting here preaching this and I'm not living it. So I think that was, that was definitely a piece of it as well. And eventually like I just figured out that I wanted to value different things. Like I just started to zoom out and see a bigger picture. I think of what really matters you know, yeah. what really matters in this world. But I love that you said people because I think people can have such a massive influence on our beliefs, which can be a really good thing and or a really bad thing. Like we really Absolutely. have to be careful about the circles that we're spending time in. Yeah, and I think knowing what your relationship is with feedback and authorities is really mm-hmm. important. For me, mm-hmm. like I had such a people-pleasing quality to me or like I wanted to impress everyone and make everyone happy that... that worked against me at the end of the day and I read this book um I want to say her name is Gretchen Rubin she has oh. a book called the four um four tendencies the four tendencies exactly yeah, good. completing my sentence <laughs> gotcha. over here <laughs> yeah and so that shed a lot of light on my relationship with accountability and commitment mm-hmm. so basically she breaks down people into four very generalized categories So there's the obliger Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. thrives on external accountability, and that's Mm -hmm. what I am. There's the rebel. That's someone who needs to decide for themselves or make change for themselves. There's the questioner, the person who needs to gather all the data, all the information before they make a change. And then there's also the upholder, um, which is someone who I think just decides, like they have to decide that they want to change and then they'll do it. I think the upholder is the one where they just... They're very interested in like, what are the rules and Mm. what are the expectations and what is the structure and I'm going to fit in it. Those are the people that really struggle if like the light is red, but there's no one coming to cross the street. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they're like, but this is the way it's supposed to be. Oh, yes. (laughs) I think. Yeah. Because right here it says in a nutshell, remember upholders want to know what should be done. So they are very much like rule followers within the box. Questioners want justifications obligers need accountability so they need someone else outside of themselves to hold them accountable and then rebels want freedom to do something their own way yeah Yeah. the really interesting part about this is she also talks about these four personality types in relation to habits Mm -hmm. and how habits manifest in our life i think sometimes when we talk about behaviors and we talk about tendencies and behavior we like to we like to speak as if there are rules, like universal rules about everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think with everything, I know this from being a personal trainer, but with everything, the same route is not going to work for everyone. So understanding that there isn't really a right or wrong way to arrive at some of these things, I think is, is important in understanding that 
we're all very much individual and what we need to hold us accountable or what we need to cause us to adopt a new behavior for example it's all different yeah it's not the exact same path for everyone so there's something empowering about knowing which type you are whether you're using these four tendencies or any like personality typing thing there's something empowering about that because you understand you stop looking and saying well what worked for corinne why isn't it working for me you Mm -hmm. go oh because She's a questioner and I'm a rebel, so of course, like I'll take a different path, right? Right. And what I also love about personality tests is you can read about other personalities and learn from them. Yeah. Like if I know that I'm an Eliger, <laughs> maybe on some things I can learn to be more like the rebel or more like the questioner or more like the upholder. You know, there are qualities about other people that we can try to emulate or introduce into our own lives too. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Sometimes I find that this happens especially with astrology. People are like, I'm such a cancer. Like, this is just a cancer thing to do. It's like, just because you're a cancer doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. You can be (laughs) a better person and learn from other astrologies or personality types. You know what I mean? We tend to, like, identify with our box and we stick to it. Yeah, that's that's the piece about identity. And if if you Mm. believe a certain thing about your identity, it then comes true, right? Whatever we believe about ourselves is true. So yeah, I think it's important to understand that there are different ways of thinking and there are different identities that you can embody because that's how you that's how you you even picture being able to make a change, right? Yeah. So are you a rebel in mm. out of four tendencies? Do you remember? I feel like I'm a questioner. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't need external accountability. I'm not just looking to please other people. Um, but yeah, probably probably a questioner. I like all the info. Mm. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah, and I think it's helpful also to know what the people in your life are, too, because then you can support each other in the way that you need to be supported. So now I know I'll need to justify everything with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, exactly. <laughs> That's good. Um, have you in your experiences ever counted macros? I did count macros, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I counted, there were kind of three phases of my eating disorder, okay. and the final one was the one where I was counting macros. So actually because of that, I had a very, very bad taste in my mouth about counting macros Mm. because I I thought that was, like I I thought it contributed to me going down a not great path, if that makes sense. But I've actually recently switched my views on it a little bit Mm. because I think that while it wasn't a good experience for me in that headspace, I think that you can learn a lot. And I think I take for granted a lot of the things that I learned from doing it, even though I was doing it in a very restrictive way and I was too obsessive about it. I learned a lot about nutrition that now informs my choices. And I I take that for granted sometimes. Yeah, I can totally see why though. It can be so easy to feel resentful towards macros because it brings out, it can bring out a very nasty side of a person, Mm -hmm. like a very rigid, extreme, and almost like a cultish following within within a human being. What made you change your stance? Was it more education? Was it more reflection? I think realizing, now doing some nutrition coaching and realizing like we have this tendency that we think whatever we know that everybody just knows so i think that people just know that an egg is made up of protein and fat but that's not necessarily true that's not necessarily something everyone knows i i feel like everyone knows that sweet potatoes are a carb but not necessarily right and so i think i was taking for granted having those building blocks of information about nutrition and as i've done more nutrition coaching and realized that we, I need to teach people that. I've realized that, hmm, what, what would be a good way for them to learn what is in their food? Well, it would be underst- like looking at what are the macros that make up this food? And so I think that that slowly helped, like, made me start to, to switch my viewpoint on it a little bit. Because I, I think it's important. I think it's important to know what's in your food so you can make educated decisions about what you want to eat in that moment. And it just needs to be done in not this rigid, right. obsessive way. Like I think there's for sure a, a better way to do it and a worse way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely switching my views on it. Interesting. I think that's incredibly mature. Mm. I think it's easy to take stances or take sides in nutrition because people make it very black or white. 
but it takes someone who's very mature and very good at their craft to see that, oh, there are merits to this or there are parts of this that could benefit a specific circumstance. I think we have to be careful. Fitness and nutrition can get really dogmatic. Mm, good and word. And we can get very judgmental about certain things, certain camps, certain philosophies, certain ways of doing things. I'm questioning a lot of things lately, to be honest. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> right. I think it's good. I think it's good. I think it's good to understand, like, I'm living under by this principle. Why am I living by this principle? And what could be evidence against it? They're all just tools. Exactly. How do you want to use the tool? Use the yeah. tool at the right time, in the right place, in the right way. But you don't. You don't need to bash the tool and say like never use that tool, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about a lot that a lot when it comes to, to sure. fitness and nutrition. And new science is always coming out. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody thinks that science is so factual, but until you've gone to like a re- you've gone through research in your background, then you know that everything is there's so many confounding variables. <laughs> everything yeah. is so uneven. They're constantly changing. Like. Now we know that mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, but maybe 10 years down the road, they're going to discover that mitochondrias are also a whole other cell (laughs) in itself. Like, I don't know. I'm just making that up. But you know what I mean? Like possibilities are endless. So for people to just hang their heads on one thing and be so rigid and dismissive to other people's opinions is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. It causes Mm -hmm. all of us. um, Yeah. That's such a good point. People really do take science as fact. If you've spent any time in a lab or at all in the research process, Mm -hmm. you understand that it's actually really not. Like, the way that experiments are designed have such a massive impact on the results that they get. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit dangerous when people are willing to quote one study that they read the abstract on and be like, this is fact, and let's now perpetrate this as fact. Mm-hmm. Like like you're saying, there are just so many confounding variables that we cannot account for. Like, you, you can't possibly. So, yeah, science is definitely not um, nearly as black and white of a thing as we like to think it might be. Yeah, and a lot of researchers are not objective. They are funded, or they have <laughs> yeah. agendas, yeah. or they have companies. Uh, or ties to companies Um, so I think that's where working with a professional is really valuable and that was something that really helped me once I realized that this was a change I needed to make was working with nutrition coaches and trainers and experts and taking courses and things like that and because those people are able to look at my life in an objective way not these researchers that I've never met you know yeah Yeah. cool really good point what are some reasons that you don't count macros anymore hmm I think I feel like I want to be a little more intuitive about my nutrition, although I have a lot of problems with um, this concept of intuitive nutrition because it confuses me a lot, actually, which I want to talk about. But yeah, I think I just I just realized that I, I need to be okay with flexibility in my life, and where I am right now is at a place where I understand that I have some like really strong and robust habits surrounding my eating and my nutrition that serve me very well. But also, life happens when you're at a birthday party and there's cake, or you have pizza in the park on a Friday night. Like mm-hmm. that's life, and I want to be part of that fully and not have it in the back of my head of like, oh, okay, well, like that was a really carb heavy day on Friday or whatever. Like I, I think that there's a lot of merit in just like letting all of that go and just 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 be and you can always cycle back around to it right and you can always check in and see like okay where am i ish right now am i getting enough protein to support my strength training or whatever but but yeah i think for me it was very important to to just move away from that and just let it go for a while sure What about you? You tracked your macros for a while. I did, yeah. At the time I was in university and then uh, pretty much after I graduated, I slowly transitioned off of it. I think what worked for me on macros was that, uh, again, it kind of goes back to the education piece, was I didn't realize that I didn't know how to eat protein. So that that taught me that (laughs) very important lesson that I now carry with me for the rest of my life. And it also worked out well because I was competing in 
CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting at the time, and I needed to be in a weight class. Mm. Um, so it allowed mm -hmm. me to feel a sense of control over my performance because then I could, you know, increase macros on certain days that I had heavy squats or heavy training sessions and then decrease it on days where I didn't need as many calories to help me stay within a weight class. However, after I ended my very short-lived competing season, I think I realized that there were other things that I needed to learn outside of macros, mm. like more about myself as a person or the relationship that I had with food and my body. And those weren't conducive with this method of like measuring and calculating and thinking about food all the time, planning things out all the time. Mm. Um, and now in my practice, I very much believe in using macronutrients as like a short-term tool, mm. but in the long run, I always, always try to help my clients to transition off of it and adopt something that's more intuitive. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. It is pretty cool though that you can use nutrition, leverage it in that way for performance, mm -hmm. for these short-term things, these short-term goals. I so also think that that is awesome. Like you can use carbs or carb cycling to boost your performance when you need. Like mm -hmm. I just think that is so dope. My husband's a soccer player and he's experimented around with that a little bit. And I just mm -hmm. think like that's also so cool, you know? So. Yeah, I think there are obviously many sides to the many sides to the puzzle. I think with any diet, there's a prerequisite of you have to be able to come off of the diet. Or you can't yeah. only rely on the diet for forms of control in mm -hmm. your training. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and I think that's what I was doing is mm. this was the only thing, so I really went it all in on it and that's not healthy. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, what are your thoughts on intuitive eating? <laughs> I feel like I got a glimpse <laughs> of your opinion, so now I'm a little hesitant. No, I'm just kidding. I think it's interesting. I also think I'm a little confused by the premise of okay. it. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I think it could be feasible, and I think it could work for a lot of people, but it takes work together. For a lot of people, they mm -hmm. think, oh, you just listen to your body. That's so easy. I've been living with my body for the last 27 years. Uh, I obviously know what it needs, and that's not true because we've spent so much time almost like ignoring signs of our body or trying to misdirect our bodies in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are prerequisites for intuitive eating to be successful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, I think that's what confuses me a little bit mm -hmm. because I think the concept is lovely and I think this idea of trusting your intuition mm -hmm. and what your body knows and that there's some kind of like inner wisdom there, like I think that, I think there's something there 100% and I'm not, yeah, I, I think I'm just confused by the concept because personally, I know that I don't just... I think I'm a pretty self-aware person at this point. Like, I think that, like, I, I know what's going on with my body. <laughs> like, you know, I'm pretty, like, in tune. But still, at any given moment, I can't just, like, right now be like, I know exactly what I need. I'm deficient like, in magnesium and iodine. Like, <laughs> like no. Right? Like, yeah. some of it's up here. Some of it I'm like, oh, I really, you know, I think I, like, need some more protein for dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. And then I feel good about that. So... I don't know. There, there are some things that I get and some things I don't. I think, let's say 10 years ago, if I'd eaten fast food, I was so unaware of what my body needed that I wouldn't have even realized how it made me feel. Now I know if I eat fast food, I'm going to feel like crap. Like I know exactly what that feels like to eat those like processed oils. Like I, I just know the feeling. So I don't know. It, I guess that's intuitive. But also, I've learned so much about nutrition to know, hey, I know the feeling of I feel like I haven't eaten enough carbs. Mm -hmm. But I think that's because I have so much background knowledge. Like, I don't think that someone can honestly just decide to be an intuitive eater mm -hmm. and have never learned all this stuff about nutrition. Do you 100%. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's confusing for me. I think evolutionarily speaking, we have evolved to know like to mm. understand the language of our body mm. to know what to eat and when to eat and what kinds of foods are available at that time in our area that we whatever our hunter gatherers in so i get that from like a very primitive standpoint or not from a primitive standpoint that's a wrong word like but ancestral. from a standpoint of exactly of yeah. like going back to primitive times mm -hmm. however in the modern society we are inundated with so many messages about food and our bodies and our 
like level of productivity and stress and stimulus are completely different than before. Yeah, so point. in order for us to get back to that point of being able to be intuitive, it takes education and it takes unlearning and relearning of things. So that kind of goes back to like what I said about prerequisites. I think number one, you need to be eating whole foods in order for you to be able to eat intuitively mm -hmm. because there are foods out there that are designed by engineers and <laughs> chemists to be yeah. hyper palatable. There's a reason why you can open a bag of chips and you can't stop until it's all gone because it's designed and engineered to be that way. So whereas with an apple or a bag of apples, you couldn't do that. Right. Right. Um, and then the second thing is you have to have a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to, you know, appreciate your body and appreciate other aspects of yourself. Um, and food can't take on that very toxic like outlet or um, almost like comforting and therapeutic role in your life. And then last but not least, I think you do need to understand physiology to a certain point. You need, do need to have an understanding of macros, carbs, fats, proteins, micronutrients, and what they do for you mm -hmm. so that when a cue comes up, you can know like, oh, that's what I need. That's right. You just nailed it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, it's hard to communicate all of that though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> people like, kind of want the elevator pitch mm -hmm. of like yes or no. I get asked mm -hmm. about keto and intermittent fasting at least four times a day. <laughs> and I'm like, who who are you? What what are your goals? What what's your blood sugar like? I don't know who you are. Yeah. Do you know how to cook? Like all of these little factors play into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. How would you classify a healthy relationship with food? What do you Ooh. feel like that means? Great question. I think you put it really well. Um, that's using nutrition as a tool or seeing it as a tool. Um, and so I guess in other words, people have said it, it, it is fuel for your body, mm. right? Mm. Um, and of course, I think it takes on like the roles of like celebration and comfort and security and all of that. It just can't be your only source of security mm. or comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you? I think this is another one that I've started to question a lot, to be honest. I think when Just I... questioning life in general. That's right. It's, it's a very, very confusing time. <laughs> um, no, not really. But I think I believe a healthy relationship with food is one where food is not a coping mechanism for you to be dealing with something underlying. I think sometimes eating is emotional, like you said, celebratory, or, mm -hmm. you know, it brings up feelings of nostalgia. Like, food does not exist void of emotions. Mm -hmm. So, I think, yes, food is fuel, and it cannot be fuel. Like, I think both are right, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, I think just, if it is a coping mechanism, or if you're leveraging it for a reason that is something external, like changing your aesthetics or you're only leveraging it for performance but that's like ruling you like I think for a short period of time mm -hmm. it's fine but if that's like like you feel like you have to do that mm -hmm. I think that that's when it's not a healthy relationship with food or if you have fear around food like that's an easy one right mm -hmm. like if you're afraid of eating certain foods or certain food groups like you yeah. need help. It's a problem, right? Like yeah. you shouldn't be you shouldn't be afraid of food. Like all food is okay. It's not like it's a bad thing, right? It's just like what what are you doing on a consistent basis? So yeah, I think that's that's where I've arrived at this point. Really well said. I I think what it comes back to for me is intent. It's like mm -hmm. you have to be intentionally and mindfully making these choices if there's another motivating factor or some sort of thing that you're reacting to then you're out of control or you're out of intention mm -hmm. and that puts you at a disadvantage yeah yeah i mm -hmm. definitely agree well do you still feel any anxiety like do you feel anxiety at all around nutrition these days I actually wouldn't call it anxiety anymore. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think it's that intense. I think I do still get uncomfortable sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've been reflecting because actually this week has been a bit of a weird week for me just because I have some, like I've been alluding to, like some pretty strong habits around nutrition and habits around sleep. And when I have a full week where those kind of get messed up, it I feel a little something. Like, I just don't <laughs> yeah. quite feel like myself. The upholder's like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. These rules that I set for myself. No, they're not really rules. No, they're no, just, like, things mean. that I normally would do if it were under my control. And so I think that there are for sure still elements of 
relinquishing that control and being okay for the week. And, you know, I also didn't feel that great this week because of it, but being okay with that. Um, so I think that those are the things that I'm still working through. But it's funny, the time that I'm okay with doing it is like uh, last November, Eric and I went on a three-week trip to Spain, which was Oof. beautiful and lovely. Wow. It's not going in right before COVID, thank God. But on that three-week trip, I actually did not feel any of that underlying discomfort because I was going in being like, this is what is supposed to happen. Like, I am not letting any of the, oh, I don't want to be eating at 10 p.m. Like, none of that shit was going to affect my trip. Like, mm. I was like... I'm here, I'm present, I'm in this for the experience. But when it's a normal week and I'm at home and I feel like there is no reason that it should be not great, that's when I still feel like a little bit of yeah. something, if that makes sense. But, you know, that's good. Like, I'm working through it. I feel like totally. I'm aware of it. And it definitely doesn't, like, derail me by any means. Yeah. And the fact that you're taking ownership, like, you're no noticing that you are the person that's creating those feelings mm -hmm. and you can take them away, mm -hmm. that's great. Mm -hmm. I think... In previous years, I would have displaced that to food. I would have been like, oh, no, carbs are the problem. I can't eat carbs anymore. If I start, I just can't stop. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's so fascinating that our brains are in such control over our perception of everything. We can go through the same exact scenarios because I've, like, overeaten at every Christmas dinner ever, you know? But in previous years, that would have confirmed my, like, limited beliefs about myself being, like, not disciplined enough, not working hard enough, not being able to say no. Whereas now it's confirming the belief that I have about you're allowed to have these foods, you're permitted, you know, food is your friend. Like it's so crazy that we're in such control over the way that we perceive the world. We can never forget that we wear a certain pair of glasses when mm -hmm. we look at the world. You have on That's a different true. pair. My husband is on a different pair. Everyone in the world has on a different pair of glasses. And so we're seeing things through that lens. Mm -hmm. I could not agree with you more that your beliefs around something, the way you're talking to yourself around something, like that is so huge, right? Exact same scenario. You now approached it differently, had different thoughts about it, therefore felt differently about it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, the next day, like went probably went about your day differently. Like totally. that is, that is massive. And the only thing that changed was this. Yeah. The only thing that changed Between the was years. the way that you saw it. That is, exactly. it's so cool and so scary all at the same time That's because just... it's like, man, we don't even see how we're perceiving things. Like we mm -hmm. don't even understand like, yeah, we just, we think that the, what we see is fact, but it's just, it never is. It right. Never is. Exactly. And that's why having people around you that are almost like mirrors yeah. to reflect what you're doing. Um, and then also approaching every relationship in that way too. Like whatever you find to be annoying or lovely in the other person is a mirror for how you think of yourself. Yeah. That's super valuable. Yeah, definitely. Woo. What are like three nutrition principles you currently live by or that really inform your decisions around food? Hmm. Principles. Um, I would say there are three main things that I sort of focus on when it comes to nutrition. And I think that these are like the biggest three solid habits. And then there's like flexibility within that. Mm -hmm. So I try to eat on a time schedule. I don't call it intermittent fasting because I did intermittent fasting for a while and it effed up my hormones. So women oh, out there, if you're thinking yeah. about intermittent fasting, like please just realize that we are not the same as men. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work the same. Testosterone is not there for yeah, us. Yeah, it's different. Anyways. But yeah, so I eat on a, a schedule, which means that I normally eat a pretty early dinner. Mm -hmm. um, I always eat breakfast, but then I eat a pretty early dinner. So like that schedule, I feel like is really solid for me mm -hmm. and just like regulating my circadian rhythm and making sure that my sleep is good. So there's that. Then I think being mindful about your nutrition and how it's making you feel in general is just a good thing. And that's the awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to like meditate every time you eat. Like it's nothing crazy. It's just I'm aware of what's going on my plate and how am I consuming it and how is it making me feel. Like it really is that simple. And then I always just try to have balance of all the macros and variety. Like Perfect. balance and variety to me is like the third thing. And I think as long as you have that, there's no reason to be afraid of one specific food mm -mm. because overall you're getting the balance of what you need and you're going to be nourished just fine. Yeah. And nutrition really can be that simple. 
people really like love to geek out over biohacks and things like yeah. that and I'm all for it like meal timing supplementation yeah. and whatnot um, I think those things are very interesting to me too but if you're skipping steps and then going directly to doing those things you're not gonna see the results that you want or they're not gonna last so I think my top three number one for me is drinking enough water nice I just nice. feel yeah, like I didn't even touch on water that's so true I, so there are so many huge. principles like oh, it, we could probably between <laughs> the two of us we can be here for hours talking about nutrition <laughs> principles but if I were to yeah. think of top three because I did travel yeah. a lot in the last few years mm-hmm. and so I needed a few non-negotiable items for yeah. me to feel like grounded and in control of my nutrition and the way that I'm taking care of myself and water has always been like that thing if I under drink or dehydrate myself um, I feel it and it shows up in my food choices my sleep in my training everything so definitely water and the next thing for me is getting five different vegetables every day cool yeah I don't know I don't know when that started but I remember reading an article that was like if you aim to get five different sources of like low starch high fiber plants every day you're likely getting a really good balance of minerals and vitamins Mm -hmm. and then also Mm -hmm. um like obviously fiber is really really important nice yeah and then my third one i want to say is kombucha but it's not (laughs) i want to be on brand and be like i drink kombucha every day just because i do um (laughs) but i really think it's I guess the best way to put it is like taking ownership over your nutrition in the way of cooking or Mm. trying to source your food really responsibly. So that to me is twofold, like trying to get seasonal and local where possible, not only because it's more nutrient dense and better for the environment, but because I also just love to support like small business owners, farmers, people that uphold our food system. And I really believe that we vote with our dollars. So when you choose to invest in foods that come from a good place you're supporting those businesses to grow and to further their venture um, and you're also driving out the people that are monopolizing the industry right now mm-hmm. so yeah food security is like a huge element i love those mm-hmm. love that. thank you all right thanks so much corinne this was really fun thanks for chatting with me today it was thank fun you to have for you having on. me i feel like that was such a great conversation i hope people at home take lots away from it yeah, I'm sure they will. It was really good. Can you just tell people at home where to find you if uh, they want to learn more about you or potentially work with you? Absolutely. So you guys can find me on Instagram at kombucha.mami. That's spelled M-A-M-I. I get questions like, are you a mom or uh, do you have a kid? I'm like, no, it's M-A-M-I. It's cool. <laughs> um, or you can find me on my website, www.corinchen.ca. And Corin is spelled K-E-R-E-N. Uh, and then my podcast, Booch Please Podcast, is available on Spotify or Anchor FM. And you can follow that Instagram at Booch Please Podcast. Really straightforward, all one word. Amazing. Thanks, Corinne. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on how do you feel. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.